is it the Venus Metal Graph Show? I wonder if we're going to have anything to discuss on the show. I don't know. Let's see. There's three presidential scandals, civil war in Syria, death, destruction, tornadoes, immigration debate, terrorism. This is just all the stuff on page one. I guess we'll, we'll probably come up with something, right? It's May 23rd, 2013. He's been shunned by commercial radio. Unable to be bought and paid for by corporate America. And running on the fossil fuel of common sense. For those of us that choose to live dangerously in the radical middle, welcome to the Zip Code Famous Michael Graff Show. good show always a telltale sign when I look down and I see Windows Explorer has crashed so I just sit here I'm a victim of it I just sit here and I wait for it to restart hey don't worry I'm just trying to do a show here I'm glad that of all the times that there's an error here freaking Windows I'll tell you what Welcome in. It's going to be a going to be a fun show. Welcome in. It's the Zip Code Famous Michael Groff Show. Contact information for us. Email groffshow at gmail.com. Also, uh, Groff Show on Google Talk. Michael Groff, the handle on Twitter. And for everything Michael Groff related, including all of our various contact information, and uh, donations for this program. Yes, donate, donate, donate to this fine show because it's your favorite show. You want it to continue. You want to see us uh, be able to have uh, uh, a long-running thing here. All of that and a whole lot more, including all of our uh, episodes and stuff, can be found at the one and only michaelgraff.com. Now, before we go into all of the stuff that I want to get into today, uh, I, I do need to establish this. This is... We have a lot of important stuff going on, but this right here, I think, is just about as important. This is today's sign that evolution may very well have stopped. A 59-year-old man walks into a Long Island Carvel ice cream shop. Carvel, a lot of good ice cream, kind of expensive, but, you know, it's okay. Why not? And so he's like, hey, I'm going to get myself an ice cream. So he orders it. The woman behind the counter prepares his scoop. He presents her with a coupon for one free ice cream scoop. She sadly informs him that the coupon has expired. And so he does what any sane, rational human being would do when confronted with this situation. And he punches her right in the face. Rather than paying the $3.50 for the ice cream, he punches her right in the face. 59-year-old William Hotz now faces charges of robbery and assault against the 55-year-old ice cream store employee and resisting arrest because when the cops got there, well, he wanted to finish his ice cream. So he was flailing his arms about, turning away, trying to uh, trying to elude the cops briefly. So, you know, I mean, look, he, he paid a good amount of, a, of an expired coupon for that ice cream, so he wasn't going to be denied. So there you have it. Today's sign that indeed... <laughs> Evolution may very well have stopped. The woman, by the way, refused medical treatment. She had a cut on her lip. She also had a swollen lip. So, yeah, she he punched her right in the mouth. 
All right. Well, that's a happy way to get things started. All right. Well, there's so much going on, and it's just one of those shows you never even know exactly where to start with all this stuff because there's just so many things that have happened. I guess, as they say, you miss a little, you miss a lot. We've got an immigration debate. We've got all these presidential scandals. I guess we should start with that. Big news is the presidential scandals going on right now. I guess we might as well start with Benghazi because that's the one that's been going on the longest. That's the one that seems to be the most controversial here, really, because, of course, on the left, they're saying that this is this is not a big deal. This is just a bunch of trumped up nonsense. Well, of course, you know, the Obama administration has told 12 different versions. The Obama administration, the State Department, the, you know, all these people, uh, Homeland Security, they've told 12 different versions of what actually happened on September 11th, 2012. Uh, at our Libyan consulate in Benghazi, Libya. And unfortunately, none of these stories really seem to link up very well with one another. And there's somebody that dropped the ball. And, you know, honestly, four of our Americans, four Americans are dead in this, including our UN ambassador, Christopher Stevens, died tragically, died needlessly. They asked for more security. If you don't know this story, there was a, a lot of unrest, as there always is, in that region, Egypt, Libya, further east, you know. So the anniversary of September 11th was coming up and our uh, Libyan consulate said, hey, we need more security forces here. We need more protection because the threat of terrorism is, is certainly high. And our Egyptian consulate, our embassy there had already been attacked. Uh, they had had rocks thrown at them. They had had uh, people, uh, you know, running up there. They they had threats of bombs and all this other stuff. So they said, "Hey, look, we really need protection here because this is it's crazy over here in Libya." So that got back to the State Department. That got back to Homeland Security. That obviously got back to the president, and they were denied additional security. That's it. They were they were denied. Um. And we all know that we know that these correspondence took place. CBS News got a hold of all the email correspondence last year. And then, lo and behold, on September 11th, our Libyan consulate was attacked. Four people dead. They asked for more assistance. They asked even on the day of. They asked at the time it was happening. Hey, we, we're, we're taking heavy fire. And no, it didn't come until too late. Oh, yeah, we got forces there. We got troops there. Too late, though. Too late. And... It's one of those situations that as tragic as it is, this entire thing could have been easily handled by the Obama administration, by Barack Obama himself. And he could have said, you know what, uh, the very next day in the Rose Garden at the White House, when he made that speech where he didn't even use the word terrorism once to define what happened. And it was just one of those things where it was a, a very quick, a very brief press conference, which he sort of defined what happened, but not really. Of course, sort of shirking responsibility and not saying that um, they knew about it right away. No, no, no. Didn't say any of that when, of course, it was proven that they did know about it right away. He could have said, this could have been all over with, he could have said, you know what? Here's what happened. Um, our, uh, we underestimated, we grossly underestimated the threat to our Libyan embassy we grossly underestimated the threat, and as a result, our UN ambassador, Christopher Stevens, and three other Americans are now dead. And you know what? 
I take the responsibility for this. This is not my secretary of state. This is not Hillary Clinton's fault. This is not Janet Napolitano. This is not anybody else. This is on me. The buck stops with me. I should have handled this better. And I, I horrendously, I, I, I totally apologize. I, I cannot, I don't, I can't possibly feel enough remorse to let you know how terribly sorry I feel for what took place. And the U.S. government let these people down. If he would have come out and been contrite and said that, yeah, of course the Republicans would have still skewered him somewhat, but you couldn't really, the guy would have taken ownership of it, would have taken responsibility for what happened, and then at the end of the day, that would have been it. That would have been, this controversy would have long since been over, but of course he couldn't do that, and you know why he didn't do it? Because it was seven weeks before the election. We were seven weeks away from the presidential election and the race was fairly tight between he and Mitt Romney. And you know, in the presidential debates, Mitt Romney would have just hung him out to dry on that. So he had to cover it up. There had to be lies. And it's one of those situations where you start to lie about it and then the lies have to cover up other lies. And then you need more lies to cover up the previous lies. And then you need to put up enough smoke screens so that people can't cut through all the BS in the time before the election. And that's exactly what took place. That is, unfortunately, that's what happened. You know, it's like Richard Nixon. Again, the cover-up was worse than the act itself. The act was bad. The cover-up was far worse. You know, this was supposed to be the most transparent administration ever. Isn't that what we kept hearing? This was going to be the most transparent administration in history. Well, not only is it not, but now it's one of the most scandal-ridden administrations in recent history. Because this, this right here is bad. It speaks to the president. It speaks to his administration. And it's, yeah, I'd, I'm not saying that President Obama himself is solely and completely responsible. In fact, there are other people that are supposed to be handling this. But he is the commander-in-chief of the United States military. Certainly, he could have authorized more security forces. Certainly, he was aware of what happened and could have taken responsibility or diffused the situation very quickly, but instead, he chose not to. Now, all of his fanboys out there, fanboys and girls, out there constantly defending this and saying it's no big deal. I actually heard, I actually heard Randy Rhodes, one of the biggest mouthpieces for this president. I heard Randy Rhodes on her show sit there and say, this is not a big deal. And she said, it's not a big deal because most Americans can't even name the four people that were killed in Benghazi. They can't name them. They don't know anything about it. They couldn't even find Benghazi on a map. But because of that, it's not a big deal. What? Like, that's the worst logic I've ever heard. Because we, because the average American can't name those people. They don't know who Christopher Stevens is. Well, because of that. Why are we making a big deal about it? Americans shouldn't make a big deal. Well, I don't know. It's a terrorist attack on a on a U.S. soil. And yes, a United States embassy, regardless of where it is, it's still considered U.S. soil. That is an attack on the United States. We shouldn't treat that as a big deal. And the fact that there was a, a president that lied about it, he was caught in his lies by CBS News and other news outlets. Because of that, suddenly we're supposed to sit here and say, oh, well, you know what? Gosh, no big deal. No, it is a big deal. 
So I love the people that are they're they're not even defending the fact that he lied about it. They're not even defending the fact that he, they're saying, well, it's not a big deal because the average American can't name these people. OK, that makes sense. All right. So that's scandal number one. And that continues and there's going to be hearings about it. Look, I don't think I don't really expect a whole lot to come of it. I know that there's a lot of Republicans that want to sit there and saber rattle and say, ah, we're going to. Yeah, we could bring up impeachment. They're not going to bring up impeachment proceedings because it would never stick. Yes, there was deception. Yes, there was a cover up. Yes, there were lies. Yes, uh, Hillary Clinton told a much different story of what happened than the rest of the State Department. Yes, uh, everybody had their own version. I get it. I get that people want their pound of flesh and that that somebody should take responsibility. But ultimately, it doesn't matter. Hillary Clinton's gone now. She retired. She's she's done uh, as secretary of state. You know, the administration's moved forward. Now you have a lame duck president. By the time you've got impeachment proceedings going in the first place, it'd be too late. And I'm not even advocating that. I just would love this president to take responsibility for something, something that happens. He blames the previous administration for the current economic state. Still, he's had his cabinet, his administration, his policies in place for over four years now. His party was in control of the House, who writes the nation's budget. They have the nation's checkbook for two years of the previous administration, for the last two years of the previous administration. So, you know, but he had a supermajority in the House and Senate the first two years of his administration. I don't understand how he continues to blame his predecessor. I mean, at some point, you have to take a little bit of responsibility yourself, don't you? I mean, at some point, you got to step up to the plate and say, you know what? Listen, it's not going as well. It's not going as smoothly as I thought. All right? I can't fulfill all these promises that I made right away. That's all. I I swear, like, I, I have... I'm not out to get the president... I, I I hold every president. I've hold I've held every administration. Look, the Bush administration, by and large, disaster. I mean, some of the stuff good, a lot of the stuff bad. You know, I mean, this is just the thing. Um, you have to acknowledge when there's just things that are going wrong. You have to be able to take responsibility, especially if you're the president. The what is it? The buck stops here. So Benghazi, I would love for him to take responsibility, but he won't. All right. If he does it now, of course, now if he does it, there would be a feeding frenzy. Even from within his own party, there would be a feeding frenzy. So that brings us to scandal number two. Now, this doesn't necessarily fall squarely on the shoulders of the president. But this is one of those things that as a as a president, you need to get in front of because this speaks to your cabinet. This speaks to your administration. And that is the IRS. Now, this is one that a lot of Americans can certainly sympathize with. Benghazi, most Americans, you know, they can't. They can't sympathize with it. They can't sink their teeth into it because to them, it's a faraway place. And to them, it's like, well, I don't know all the particulars on it, but everybody knows about the IRS. And most everybody hates the IRS. And a lot of people feel the IRS is out to screw them. And then lo and behold, the IRS was out to screw people, particularly Tea Party organizations and any organization with the word patriot in their name. A lot of these organizations that wanted to uh, have tax exempt status, they wanted to be nonprofit organizations that, you know, are, are 
Tea Party or are affiliated with or somehow affiliated with the Tea Party or with other conservative outlets were targeted by the Internal Revenue Service, the tax man. And they were asked, um, what happens is whenever, when you start a nonprofit organization, whether it's called, it's called a 501c3 or a 501c4, there's a difference between those. I'm not even going to get into that right now. When you start a nonprofit organization, you do have to meet certain criteria, certain standards that make you nonprofit. All right. And so there is a, a, a tiny, there is some, you know, there's paperwork and there's some scrutiny that you have to fill out. However, the reason that there's a controversy is because these organizations were asked directly by the IRS, who are your contributors? How much do they make? Uh, how much do they contribute? Um, what are their religious affiliations? This is where you really start to get into trouble. What, what are their religious affiliations? What are your religious affiliations? What are your political affiliations? What political party are you a part of? You know, all this other stuff. Stuff that, by law, the Supreme Court has already determined you cannot ask them. And here's the thing. that you can say, well, okay, so they asked inappropriate questions. Yeah, you know, that's not right. That's an ethical thing. All right, fine. But the reason that it's so bad is because it's the IRS. These are people that are trying to establish a nonprofit organization. The IRS basically says, you answer these questions or we deny you your status. We deny you this tax example, this, uh, this 501c4 status. You do what we say or we don't give you what you want. And you know what? We may very well turn around and audit you. We may give you even more scrutiny, extra, extra scrutiny. That's what people are afraid of. And that's really the problem here. That's why it is such a dangerous thing. That's why the IRS can't just go around and bully people. And this is something that, again, this does not necessarily fall at the feet of President Obama. And to his credit, albeit two or three weeks after the controversy started, yes, he did say, I want a, a full investigation brought. This is not a way that um, it doesn't matter, you know, uh, what their political affiliation is, whether they're for or against you or whatever. We, we, need, uh, we need an investigation to be done here. So look, he at least acknowledged that there needs to be an investigation. So it's still a scandal. It's not necessarily at his feet. But this is something that somebody, somebody within his administration okayed. Whether it's this Lois Lerner, who is um, one of the IRS officials and one of these people that is uh, that was supposed to go before a congressional hearing on the matter. Of course, she won't be appearing because she is evoking her Fifth Amendment rights under the United States Constitution, a right uh, not to uh, speak, a right to, to not incriminate herself in any questioning. So she is not going to answer any questions. That's what she says. Because they were supposed to do that yesterday, and she did not appear. So, And the initial story about this, and this is the other part that, that makes this a bigger scandal, is the initial story from the IRS was, hey, these were some low-level officials that decided to engage in this harassment of these various organizations. And, you know, it was just, it was a bunch of low-level, it was some, a few low-level people that just, you know, they, they, they got carried away and they've been handled. 
We've taken care of it. But we come to find out that it wasn't just a bunch of low-level officials or a couple of low-level people in the IRS because they don't, low-level people in an Ohio office don't handle this. This was... This was from somewhere much higher up. This was somewhere up in, it, again, Lois Lerner or somebody else high up in the, in the establishment. The IRS has appointed officials. The president appoints two different people for the IRS. It's two, there's two various appointed positions. One was appointed by President Bush. One was appointed by President Obama. So somebody within the middle and upper tier of the IRS got this brilliant idea. This isn't something that a low-level guy just decides. He's coming in to punch the clock and he goes, you know what I'm going to do today? These freaking Tea Party people, I'm going to get them. I'm going to get them. I'm going to put my job on the line. And I'm going to go off script. And I'm going to go after these guys. Because that doesn't make any sense. Who would do that? That makes no sense whatsoever. So this is the, the second part of this. So the scandal here really is that, again, the cover-up or the deception or the fact that now people are pleading the fifth. There's got to be a full-on investigation into this because it's frightening. And the American people will certainly sympathize with this one because this is one that affects everybody. The IRS is involved in everybody's life, whether you like it or not. And I'll tell you what, the, this is one that uh, I think might ultimately hurt the president or or at least some people in the administration, especially in the future. Now, that brings us to the third presidential scandal. And when I say presidential scandal, I'm not just talking about the president. I'm talking about his administration. And this one is worse. Look, it's bad enough to lie and cover up a terrorist attack and minimize it. And just sort of um, try and detract from it and, and do whatever you can to steer clear of that controversy. It's even worse to use the Internal Revenue Service as your own personal extortion machine, whereby you go around and harass people and organizations that are politically opposed to yourself and your administration. Okay, that's, that's worse. Then this part, the third in this scandal is probably the primary reason why so many people have a distrust of the government and why it is that you see more and more people with a distrust of the government every day. The Justice Department has seized the phone records and numbers of various people, including two reporters with the, with the Associated Press, whom uh, they were wondering where they got information about military operations and uh, intelligence operations centered around terrorism. So um, a couple of reporters at the, at the Associated Press found out about a potential terrorist plot uh, last year in 2012. And um, they, they ran with it. They reported this information that was sent to them or leaked to them by somebody else. So they just reported what they were told by somebody else. And as a result of that, the Justice Department inquired into them. They did so, by the way, surreptitiously. They did so without any knowledge from the Associated Press or the reporters in question. So they subpoenaed their phone records. They went through their computers, reportedly. They tried to contact whoever they were contacting. So they did a full investigation into these reporters. They did an investigation into a media outlet, the Associated Press. And now... Not only have they not only have they messed with the Associated Press, but here we go again. The Justice Department, they've uh, again gotten the phone records and numbers 
of White House staffers and Fox News reporters. According to a document filed on October 13th, 2011, so more than a year year and a half ago, in the case of Stephen Jin-woo Kim, a former State Department contractor accused of violating the Espionage Act for allegedly leaking classified information to James Rosen, a Fox News reporter. Ronald C. Mockin Jr., the U.S. attorney uh, for the District of Columbia, is prosecuting the case. They've seized records associated with two phone numbers at the White House, at least five numbers associated with Fox News, and one that has the same area code and exchange as Rosen's personal cell phone number. And in this particular uh, document here, it shows, uh, the only thing that doesn't show is the last four numbers they've redacted from from the record, but it's very clearly James Rosen that they're investigating. In all, Ronald C. Mockin Jr., the U.S. attorney for Washington, D.C., has seized records associated with over 30 different phone numbers. Reportedly, there has been hacking on the part of the Justice Department. They have gone in and they have they have supposedly examined, again, surreptitiously. They have looked into the computers of some of these individuals as well. Well, isn't that interesting? So the First Amendment, freedom of the press, something that we hold very sacred, journalists especially should be holding sacred in this country. That is now something that this administration, specifically the Department of Justice, Eric Holder, our brilliant attorney general, has uh, now he's involved in this. And I know, I know some people are saying, well, uh, this is national security, Mike. You know, this is, these are matters of national security. You can't just have the media looking around into this stuff. In the case of James Rosen, it wasn't necessarily about just about national security. This is information about terrorism that reporters are getting from anonymous sources. This is stuff that they are finding out. And don't you think the American people have the right to know about potential terrorist attacks? I know not that there'd ever be one in this country, not that two people from the from Czechoslovakia would ever come over here and, you know, decide to use the Boston Marathon as their target for a terrorist attack. Not that that, that's just completely theoretical, hypothetical example I'm pulling out here. But let's just say that maybe they had information about that and they decided to leak it out. The right for reporters to be whistleblowers, to keep the government in check, it's it's. An adversarial relationship, certainly, but it is one that the media is entitled to have. It is one that that the media should always have, and they should always have uh, an ability to do that without fear of reprisal. I mean, imagine if the Nixon administration bullied Bob Woodward like that. Woodward and Bernstein. Imagine, imagine if they had investigated their phone records and bullied them like this. And threaten them with jail time and treason, treasonous acts. Now, even look, I don't care even if you're the most hardcore Obama supporter and you're just you. He can do no wrong as far as you're concerned. I don't care if you're that guy. Even you have to look at this and say, you know what? That's wrong. That's going over the line. That's something 
if Eric Holder was involved in this, if if anybody, I mean, obviously there are people in the Justice Department that did that, uh, and they're all under the guise of Eric Holder, who has been proven to be a liar. Uh, Congressman Cornyn has looked at him from Texas, you know, and others, and they have found that uh, Eric Holder, he's certainly been deceptive on on many other things surrounding all this. So why wouldn't he lie about this too? I'm telling you right now, there is a lot of corruption. There is a lot of scandal and there's, and look, you might be able to dismiss some of it, but come on, you've got to admit when there's smoke, there's fire. You've got to see that some of this stuff, if not all of it, is worth investigating. When you start bullying reporters, when the media no longer has that freedom, when they no longer think that they are able to report about dangers to the American people or about government scandals, well, then that means a government that can just run free, run wild without any sort of checks. And that's definitely a dangerous government. So those are the three main presidential scandals. Tried to keep that relatively brief. You're probably, you've probably heard it already. You've probably been through all this. You've thought it through. I just wanted to comment on it as well. Talk about it a little bit. And certainly, we're, it's, this is not the last we've heard about any of this stuff. Benghazi, the IRS, nor the investigation into various reporters. And I know some of you hear, oh, well, it's Fox News, so I don't care. Well, it's not just Fox News. They looked into the, the Associated Press also. And it doesn't matter what news outlet it is. It doesn't matter if you like Fox News or if you don't. It doesn't matter if you like the Associated Press or you don't. These are media outlets. They are. They should be free to report on these kinds of things. And that's that. That's just how it is. So, something for you to think about. I, I tried to warn you. I mean, I hate to sit here and say I told you so about all this, that this would happen with this president. Did kind of warn you about this. All right. Um, on that note, I think we should probably take a break. Got a lot of other stuff to get into. I, we're just getting started. Look, we have to talk about uh, death, destruction, tornadoes. Um, yes, the town of Moore, Oklahoma. It just absolutely awful what they have been through this week. What the what many parts of the country have been through this week weather-wise. And we'll talk about that. Got a lot of other stuff to get into as well. And I think I probably have something exciting for you. The worst song of the week. We haven't done that in a while. So we'll get to that and so much more. It's the Zip Code Famous Michael Groff Show. The Zip Code Famous Michael Groff Show. MichaelGroff.com. Zip 
Code Famous, Michael Graff Show, May 23rd, 2013. Graff Show at gmail.com, our email address. Graff Show on Google Talk, of course, if you want to uh, message us over there. Michael Graff Show, AOL Instant Messenger. Michael Graff, the handle on Twitter. And for everything else related to this program, including a means for you to donate to this program, all of that and a whole lot more can be done. At the one and only MichaelGroff.com. Yes, that's right, MichaelGroff.com. Yeah, the first. I see that the FCC is thinking about loosening restrictions on television again. You know, this is exactly what happens. This is the ebb and flow of the FCC and exactly how they operate. It was just nine years ago that the infamous Janet Jackson wardrobe malfunction thing happened at the Super Bowl and everybody freaked out. It changed the entire scope of the business. You had radio stations getting fined an exorbitant amount of money for, quote, indecent content. The FCC never bothered to identify what the word indecent even really meant. So radio stations were just arbitrarily being fined or the threat of arbitrary fines. And and by the way, very punitive, very excessive fines at that. You were talking about radio stations that could have been fined a quarter of a million dollars for an indecent offense, whatever that even meant. So, of course, they fired a bunch of people. It really caused a shakeup in in that business. And television had the same sort of shakeup. And now they have uh, they've decided that they're thinking about restrict or or loosening restrictions on TV, on especially primetime television. Now, primetime television, again, that's the evening time. That's uh, on the coasts anyway. That means between 8 p.m. and 11 p.m. They're planning on loosening that up so that um, the potential for more sexual content, uh, maybe even the use of explicit language. Yes, expletives could find their way onto primetime television in the near future. Uh, This is all up on the regulatory's Uh, The Regulatory Commission's website, the FCC, has uh, this up for comment. So you, the the public, can go and comment on this right now. The initial deadline of this, by the way, for comment was May 20th, but they extended the deadline till June 19th. So you can go to the FCC website, FCC.gov, and you can go and comment on these proposed changes uh, to television all the way through June 19th, and then they will um, eventually, they'll just make their decision. And of course... They've had over 95,000 comments about this. Now, this particular article that I'm looking at here, they claim that uh, a lot of the comments are overwhelmingly negative. Not all of them are. But a lot of people are freaking out at the idea of, oh, my God, we could have expletives on primetime television. We could have maybe full frontal nudity or partial nudity on primetime television. Like that would be the worst thing that could possibly happen. According to John Conway, an entertainment attorney and CEO for the Astonish Media Group, he says, quote, primetime television will start looking more like cable television in terms of language and content. He says, I'm sure networks will test limits uh, for ratings as they do now, but I think that the American public will keep the worst outrages in check as they do right now. Um, And in an opinion piece for Fox News last week, Penny Young Nance, who is most recently served as the president of Nance and Associates and 
was a special advisor for the FCC. She says it's, quote, unfathomable to think that the FCC actually wants to allow more filth, such as female nudity, the F-bomb, the S-word, onto broadcast television during hours which kids will most likely be watching and listening. Now, I don't know how to tell Miss Nance. Yes, I don't know how to tell Miss Nance this. But there's already plenty of violence, plenty of nudity, plenty of sexual content, plenty of obscene language on TV during primetime and during any hour of the day on cable. And since 95% of televisions in the U.S. have cable or households have cable or satellite, you can find it anywhere. This whole idea of, well, we, it's it's okay to have it on cable, but not on networks. We'll keep the networks pure. That's ridiculous. Just about anybody has access to cable or to cable channels, to premium channels even. Most people have access to that. So I know that people are outraged about this and they think that this is just weird. I think it's weird only because the FCC, not even 10 years ago, was freaking out because an accidental, well, a supposed accidental slip of a nipple for, I mean, a fraction of a second got onto the Super Bowl halftime show, something that most people don't even care about anyway. And most people didn't even know it happened until, you know, a couple of people saw it and then it got around through word of mouth. So, of course, most people TiVo'd or or DVR'd the game. So they went back and watched it. Of course, they saw it. And then that's when the outrage happened. But generally speaking, nobody cared because, of course, it was Janet Jackson who was a has-been at, even at that point. So nobody wanted to watch the Super Bowl halftime show. But the point is that it was just this feigned indignation. And, of course, because we have some of the the loud trumpets of the religious right and, and these um, parents' television councils and these other people, they got outraged. So, of course, action was done. They put in this indecency clause. They, they really tried to crack down. And, uh, and of course, television, uh, TV networks, television stations, radio stations, everybody got scared. But as it is now, as it is right now, there's what's called safe harbor on TV. So television stations and radio stations could already have the F word. They could already have the S word, as she says here. They could already have fairly questionable content. After the hours of 10 p.m., between 10 p.m. and 6 a.m., it's pretty much anything goes, even on network TV. Networks choose not to do it. They think that because the FCC will loosen the restrictions that the floodgates will be open and you'll just see full frontal nudity, it'll look like porn. It'll be like it'll be like a porn site on network TV just like that. I don't think so. I really don't because by and large, I think I think a lot of people would reject that anyway. And some people will watch it. And so some networks will have it, some won't. And just as it is now. Like how many people really order or have the Playboy channel? How many people, I mean, is that even still a a thing? I think they still have the Playboy channel. I don't even know. How many people have the adult channels? Not that many. How many people... DVR the softcore porn that's on HBO or Cinemax or these other channels after uh, 1 a.m. or whatever. I mean, it's not that much. So I don't think, listen, I think it, there you'd see some. I think you'd, you'd probably see a little bit of nudity. You'd probably have ooh, some, 
some rough language that would slip in there from time to time, but I don't think it'd be that big a deal. And who cares if that happened? Why do people get so weirded out because they hear the F word? You know what is more commonly seen? They're worried about the children, by the way. This is their other argument. Their other argument is we have to think about the children and what the children are going to see, what our little precious snowflakes are going to see. Because this is the time that they're more likely to be watching. Well, isn't the prime time the more likely hours that parents are there to supervise? Isn't 7 p.m. at night more likely to be a time where a parent is there to supervise versus, I don't know, 5 a.m. when children can get up early? Maybe they can see the television then? I mean, isn't isn't 7 p.m., 8 p.m., 9 p.m. a more likely time for parents to be home and supervising, which is what they should be doing anyway? So this whole argument of, wow, we have to think of the children on this. That's always the argument. Like, for example, in this, the Parents Television Council is expressing concern of, for the FCC's proposal. Uh, the organization declared this week, here we go, hashtag no indecency FCC week. And encourage the public to file comments to the commission and tweet their concerns. The Parents Television Council, along with a 75-member coalition representing millions of Americans, also sent a letter to members of the U.S. Senate, uh, the Committee on Commerce, Science, and Transportation, and the U.S. Uh, and the uh, House Committee on uh, Energy and Commerce, urging them to oppose the FCC's proposed amendments to weaken enforcement of the broadcast indecency law. And they go on here, quote, there's an enormous amount of TV content that parents are going to find problematic, offensive, or even harmful to their children. The broadcast indecency law is only meant to deal with the worst of the worst TV and radio content uh, to begin with. And now the FCC says that it also even want, it doesn't even want to deal with that anymore. That according to Dan Isett, who is the director of public policy for the Parents Television Council. Well, Dan, uh, let's be honest. If parents aren't willing to supervise their kids now, it doesn't really matter what the indecency law is anyway. And what's to stop a kid from going to a porn site or going to some other site? I mean, just seeing you can see all sorts of crap on YouTube anyway. See, this is the problem with our culture. We are so concerned about language and sexuality. We have such a hang-up about exposing our kids to bad language and sexuality. I guarantee you, they hear plenty of bad language on the playground. They hear plenty of sexual content on the playground at school. Or from their parents. So, I don't understand what the outrage is here. You know, in this culture, we are so hung up on this. We want to, we'll put on violent images all over the place on, on our TV here in the U.S. American children are exposed to so many violent images every single day. Dozens, dozens of violent images in cartoons, on sitcoms, in everyday life. America's Funniest Home Videos. I mean, it doesn't matter. Any of this, there's violent images that are being portrayed all the time to our children. And yet, we're going to crack down on sexual images and language. Sex, the very reason that we're here, the very way that our species perpetuates itself is through sex and language, the very thing that we use to communicate with, that's something that we get hung up about. 
But violence, we're okay with. We're okay with these cops, uh, these drama shows where cops shoot at other people and where, um, you know, they see people shooting at each other. Uh, there's explosions going off all the time. We, we, we have movies that are on in prime time where stuff is getting blown up all the time, where violence, very violent, horrific images of blood and death. And then, of course, then there's our evening news shows. On the evening news, you see real-world violence happening all over the place. That, we're just fine with that pouring out all over the content, uh, everywhere. You don't hear about that. Ooh, but we got to crack down on that sex and language. You know, in other countries, they laugh at this. I mean, you can go over to some countries in Europe on, on TV during the day. They have soap operas where there's nudity. Their night, their primetime program, they have nudity. They have rough language sometimes. Oh, they say the F word. Oh, my God. They actually say the F word. They, they even have sexual content. Yeah, they don't have people getting it on, per se. But they have what we would find just outrageous over there in Europe, on, uh, in some countries. I remember when I was in college, uh, I took a year of German in college. My German professor brought in magazines from all across Europe. Some of the stuff in those magazines, I mean, there was like chicks just totally naked. I mean, and these aren't porn mags. These are just like regular magazines that he said he bought at the store. Just like regular right off the shelf. Don't see that here. You know, you got to go, you got to, you know, ask for that. You got to present ID and it's only at certain stores or you got to go to an adult bookstore to get that stuff or an adult shop. Not there. And the language in those magazines, yeah. Oh, my God, the F word was in there in a couple of places. Not here. You don't see that here because we're so hung up on that. But we put out lots of violent images. And then we wonder why we have such a problem with violent crime in this country. Now, I'm not blaming. Now, let's just hold on a second. I'm not blaming television and radio or media in the U.S. for why we have violent crime. But when you have a culture that is exposed to violence and is desensitized to violence so much, you wonder why that population is then violent. And then we repress sexuality. We teach abstinence in schools still for some reason because that works. We tell people just say no. We don't educate. We just tell people, hey, just say no. Say no to sex. Say no to drugs. Say no to everything. No, 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 no. Don't use any bad language. Oh, God, language, you know, it's going to hurt you. So we repress things that don't hurt people like sex and language. But we, we're open. We, we, we allow people to see horrific, violent images, things that actually do hurt people. And then we wonder why we have violent crimes, why we have more rape than most other countries outside of some of the backwards, you know, uh, Middle Eastern nations or some of those Eastern European nations. But I mean, other than that, we wonder why we have such a, a violent society. It's because we repress and not just in the media, but in general, we, we repress things that shouldn't be. And we with open arms welcome images that we probably shouldn't. Now, before you just angrily begin writing your emails and your comments saying, oh my God, Mike, what the hell are you talking about? Are you saying we should get rid of violent movies and violent video games? Of course not. 
I mean, it all really starts with parents being a lot more responsible. Parents have got to take more responsibility into their hands. They have to stop their kids from watching things that they object to. There's many means of doing that now. You got V-chips. You got ways to block out these channels. Or you just don't have those channels in your home in the first place. Or you set boundaries for your children. Or you actually sit down and have a talk with your children about these things. I know that that's, that's considered taboo nowadays. In a society where everything else where some everything else is somebody else's fault, where any problems are somebody else's fault. But that's one way to go about it. And the other way is, you know, networks are just free to voluntarily stop presenting violent images. And, you know, I'm not saying I want networks to turn into hardcore porn sites. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying I want primetime TV to become even worse than it already is. But... Frankly, I don't think there's anything wrong with kids being exposed to sex if we're talking about sex versus violence versus gore versus just horrendous images like that. I mean, you look at other countries and you say, well, I mean, here in the U.S., we have violent crime, we have violent suicide. And what is the centerpiece of all of our media? Violence. It is the number one topic. It is the number one image. It is the most common image seen on TV. So there you go. Again, I'm not blaming TV. I want to make sure I get this point across. I hate to repeat myself over and over. I'm not saying TV is the cause of violent murders and violent rapes and violent crimes. I'm saying, though, that as a society, what we allow and what we repress it really says something, doesn't it? Versus how it's done in other nations. I don't know. Just some food for thought. So anyway, the FCC, uh, that is what they're kicking around. There's more from this guy. Quote, it would be grossly irresponsible for the FCC to allow this. If the FCC drops the standard, the networks will give us all the profanity and nudity that they think they can get away with and they just keep pushing the envelope. Uh, that according to, who is this? This is um, this is somebody else from the Parents Television Council. More from Dan Isser. So that's, that's what they're really worried about. They're worried about whether or not uh, we're going to have some nudity on primetime TV. I don't know. I think there are probably bigger issues to worry about, other things that we could should be concerned with. Um, just so we're clear on this, by the way, I don't have any problem with sex or violence or language on TV. As far as I'm concerned, I don't care. If it's there, great. If it's not, fine. I, I'm not, I don't need the government to tell me what's okay to watch and what's not okay and how to raise my child. Okay. I don't need the government to tell me that kind of stuff. I don't need the government to, to regulate all that stuff. I don't think they should. I don't think they really need to be involved. The FCC is already way too involved in the process. I think networks could probably set their own standards just fine. I really do. I know there's people out there right now laughing at that statement. But guess what? On cable, any cable channel you watch, they can allow cursing, curse words on if they want. They can allow nudity on their channel if they want. 
TNT is free to run as much nudity and sex and foul language as they want. And guess what? They barely do. Because they set their own standard. Their shows, I was, I saw a movie on there, uh, it was either TNT or TBS. I mean, the damn thing is edited like you wouldn't believe. It's got the network edit of like Die Hard. Like, I mean, that's terrible. Meanwhile, networks like HBO, they don't edit that stuff. I mean, they it's pretty much anything goes. But they, the cable, any cable channel, even basic cable, they don't have to. They're not required to edit out curse words. They choose to do so. Comedy Central, generally speaking, chooses to do so. Sci-Fi Network, all these networks, they choose that. So this is just something to think about as we go forward. There's more food for thought from the FCC. I'm sure that this actually won't happen. But you never know. The FCC is weird. These kinds of things are weird. I told you, this is a cycle. When, when this came out nine years ago, we told you that it would go crazy for a while and then they'd ease up. And then they'd come back with a bigger vengeance at some point. Uh, this is just the problem. It's the problem. You, you never know what the rules are. It's just like with the TSA. The FCC is the exact same way. You don't know what the rules are from day to day, week to week, month to month. And this is another example. So thought I'd pass that along. Also, here we go again. Another potential military operation. The United States might be getting involved with... Syria, as you know, in Syria, well, may, maybe many of you don't actually know this, but in Syria right now, they're just engulfed in this civil war. And one side, supposedly uh, this King Assad, supposedly using chemical weapons against rebel forces. And the United States, of course, there's just been question after question about whether or not the U.S. was going to get involved, who they're going to side with. Are they going to give uh, these rebel forces weapons? And for a long time, the, sort of the White House hasn't really given a, a committed answer one way or the other on this, although there certainly have been indications. And then, you know, President Obama or somebody from the State Department says, no, 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 we're, we're not going to give. We're, right now, we're staying out of it. We're not going to give these rebel forces any, any weapons. And now, uh, well, as of a couple weeks ago, the White House was considering its opposition to giving weapons to the Syrian rebels. Chuck Hagel, who's the Secretary of Defense, uh, he he's commented on this as well. They had a joint press conference, actually, between uh, Ch Chuck Hagel, our Defense Secretary, and uh, the Defense Secretary, uh, the British uh, Defense Secretary, Philip Hammond. They asked some questions and uh, reporters asked, so what what options are you considering? And they did say, look, we're not ruling it out that we could possibly be giving uh, the Syrian rebel forces some some aid. And by aid, they mean weapons. And it's only a short step from giving them weapons to getting some boots on the ground and helping out the Syrian rebel forces. You know that the United States, and listen, I, I realize this is a very complicated issue. And there's probably some of you out there saying, you know, if there is something for the U.S. to get involved in or for the international community as a whole to get involved in, it would be this. It's atrocious what's going on in Syria. You feel bad. You see all these images. You see people that are getting gassed and hit with chemical weapons and shot at just innocent people that are being swept up in a political firestorm, quite literally a firestorm of just 
combat and destruction and death and strife. And you say, this is this would be a place where the U.S. and where the international community should come together and do something. But of course, you know, this is just another area. The, the international community sort of expects the U.S. to take charge in this. And really, the U.N. has just been sort of back and forth about this. They denounce it. They say this is bad. But then they don't do anything about it. Really not much has been done. A lot of talk. President Obama has sort of stayed out of this. And you know what? It's probably best that he does. And it's best that the U.S. stays out of this. Do we really want another military operation going on? You can say this one may have some merit. Maybe it does. Maybe it doesn't. But historically, the U.S. gets involved in these things, and we always pick the wrong side. We helped the Ayatollah get into power. We helped Osama bin Laden back in 1979. We helped the Afghans, uh, the Afghans fight against the Russians. We helped Saddam Hussein in the 80s against Iran, the very same government we put into power in the first place. Then we helped the opposition. Then we fought against Saddam Hussein. And we didn't kick him out. And then we did. And now we put in a puppet government over there. But it turns out that puppet government doesn't really like us very much. And then with Egypt, we we didn't, you know, we, we put a guy into power there. And then we only helped to take him out. And now we put in this Muslim Brotherhood. And God knows what we got out of that. And Muammar Gaddafi, we... We helped throw him out. And we've put in people over there that, frankly, I mean, well, after Qaddafi was out, guess what? Our Libyan consulate was hit by a terrorist attack. And who knows what that was all about? We just have a history in this country of helping the wrong side every single time. We choose... we. We got involved in Vietnam. We didn't even want to. We shouldn't have ever been involved there. We were in the Korean War. Shouldn't have been involved. Every single time the U.S. puts its hands into a conflict, it's, I mean, like 99% of the time, it's for the wrong reason or it's to help the wrong side. And it ultimately comes back to bite us in the ass. So I think before we rush in and help, and I realize, look, I know people are suffering. And I get that. And I understand that something needs to be done. But this is not just a decision that needs to be made by the president of the United States or by the Department of State or or by anybody just here. This needs to be made on a global scale. If this is supposedly, if this is going to be an international thing, which, by the way, it's already spilling over. Now that we had uh, some rocket attacks in Lebanon. And now, of course, you know. It's only a matter of time before the Israelis get involved. It's only a matter of time before other nations might get plunged into this thing. And with chemical weapons, you don't know what the long-term effects are. So there's so many things to consider here, but this is something for the international community. And I'm the first one to denounce the UN most of the time. But if there's ever a reason to have the UN, it would supposedly, you would think it would be for a situation like this. John McCain and Lindsey Graham have weighed in on this issue. They've repeatedly called for plans to arm the Syrian rebels as part of a broader plan of assistance to help topple the Syrian president, Bashar Assad. My theory also usually is if John McCain wants to get involved in it, we probably shouldn't. 
But I mean, who knows? I mean, uh, you know, the blind squirrel finds a nut once in a while. So who knows? Maybe, maybe he's right. See, it's hard when, when you have innocent people that are suffering as a result of a civil war. You have a nation that's gripped in this. It's hard to say. But what do we know about these rebel forces? And the, okay, so we, we overthrow King Assad. Then what? See, that's the question you have to ask. And that's the question we didn't ask with Iraq. That's the question we really don't know about with Afghanistan. Yeah, we, okay, yeah, puppet government. You know, we're, we're propping up uh, some people over there. But who knows how long they're going to be friendly to us. This is what happens when the United States gets involved with affairs that don't concern the United States. Then we start screwing up the rest of the world. That's the problem. Things get very, very complicated in a hurry because somehow we've elected ourselves, we've appointed ourselves the world's police force. Don't know why. Don't know when that became our official policy. And you know, Democrats can say it's the Republicans and Republicans can say it's the Democrats. Listen, both parties, when they've been in power, have done the same thing. This is a U.S. thing. This is an ego thing. Of course, John McCain wants to get involved because, well, it means money for the U.S. military. Means means that we get to crank up the, the mighty military machines some more. Means we get to drop more troops in someplace. Get to send more young people in there to get injured, get killed. That's great because that's, that's what America really wants right now. We want yet another front in which to battle. And you can say, well, this won't be that bad, Mike. This, this time, we're actually doing it for a good cause. Okay, maybe, but maybe we aren't. How about the rest of the world helps us out this time instead of a couple of countries? Just saying. All right, I think on that note, I should probably take a break. And uh, so much serious stuff going on. I told you, we have a lot happening. We haven't even gotten to... The fact that an entire town was basically leveled by tornadoes. And already, a natural disaster is being politicized. It's unreal how fast things get politicized these days. All right, we'll get into that. Also, I have the worst song of the week. Haven't, uh, that's, a, that's a feature we do on this show. Try to do it, you know, whenever we can. We could have a worst song of the day. I mean, there's so many bad songs. We could have a worst song of the segment. But uh, we'll get you the worst song of the week coming up as well. And a whole lot more. Groffshow at gmail.com. That's our email address. Michael Groffshow, AOL Instant Messenger, Groffshow on Google Talk. Michael Groff on Twitter. And for everything else related to this program, it's the one and only michaelgroff.com. And we'll be back. You're listening to the zip code famous Michael Groff Show. Available everywhere at michaelgroff.com. Because if one day you wake up and find that you're missing me,
Oklahoma, devastated earlier this week by tornadoes. Absolutely unbelievable. This was an F4 tornado, and it was about two miles wide, if you can imagine. A two-mile-wide tornado just ripping through this town. And, you know, Oklahoma has really been hit pretty hard by tornadoes in recent years. You remember in 1999, uh, the southwestern part of Oklahoma City was just absolutely, uh, well, destroyed by an F5 tornado. In that particular storm, the death toll was only two, although many were injured. In this particular storm, now, they originally the estimate, the death toll was believed to be 51. They have since revised that death total. They brought it down to 24, but... They say 24 people dead, nine children, more than 240 people are injured. And of those, about 60 of them are children because this tornado, among other places, hit a school. Uh, This was during the daytime hours. And while there was something, I mean, this this storm did come up and there was relatively little warning with this. It was just a devastating storm. So obviously, uh, more Oklahoma hit very hard. The damage estimates, well, they don't even have uh, necessarily damage estimates here. Obviously, well into the probably tens, if not $100 million. I mean, we're talking about a small town, but still, if you look, they even, I'm looking at before and after pictures from the storm. I don't know. We'll, we'll post one of these up at michaelgraff.com, but um, this this before and after is so telling. You see the, the town, you see some of the Google images, like Google Earth images before, and then what it looks like from the air afterwards. It, it really, it looks like a bomb blew up. It's just completely devastated. You have street signs that are twisted around. It just shows you the power of these tornadoes. An F4 tornado, for those of you that don't know, they have the uh, Fujita scale of tornadic strength. It goes from F0 to F5. Obviously, F5 is the strongest. F4, though can contain winds of around 200 plus miles per hour. Certainly, you can see how a street sign could get bent, how trees are completely uprooted, tossed around as if they're nothing, cars overturned, planes overturned, buildings destroyed. Um, And most of the buildings look like they're either completely destroyed or partially so, just a terrible situation. And of course, as is always the case nowadays, whenever there's any kind of devastating storm whatsoever, the first thing that happens is it becomes politicized and you have people out there, uh, such as the Al Gore types, these people that scream about global warming and that this is just a, a direct result of global warming. Well, if I may, if I may counter that point before it gets out of hand, just in my show prep notes, and I, I'm not, I just want to mention this, so... Uh, a couple of days ago, I was I was looking through a story here. We, up until this point, had had a record few number of tornadoes. The fewest number of tornadoes in recorded history in the United States had occurred up until this week. Now, that's not really much of a consolation for the people that were killed in Moore, Oklahoma, and certainly not a consolation for the families and the towns and people whose lives have been destroyed by this. However... You know, these storms, obviously, every spring, there's severe weather that occurs. There really hasn't been very much this spring. But yes, every spring and spring and fall, those are the transition periods. Um, That's when you generally get the most severe weather here in the United States. 
So, uh, and of course, the center of the country, Tornado Alley, you know, Texas, Oklahoma, Arkansas, Missouri, Kansas, Nebraska, Iowa, even on up into the Minnesota and the Dakotas, certainly can see their share of severe thunderstorms and tornadoes. And of course, that spans east sometimes as well. But those are the most likely areas. So... Um, we'd had a record few number of tornadoes, according to the uh, National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, NOAA. And um, so I know that the people are out there, they just want to immediately politicize something like this and say, ah, more man caused global warming. This is the cause. See, this is just what happens. If we don't change our environmental policies, we'll have more storms like this and more people will die and all this kind of thing. Really? I mean, that's the first thing you think of whenever there's a devastating tornado. Now, gee, I sure hope those people are okay. I sure hope people are going to pull through. We have critically injured people. I hope everyone's okay. Maybe I should donate some money or some time, give to the Red Cross. No, the first thing you think of is, well, it's that man-caused global warming. We better get on top of that. It's always incredible to me how quickly these people run on the air as soon as there's a disaster and try and throw this science in your face, this junk science in your face and say, see, this is what happens. Well, it's not that most of us don't believe in some type of global warming, but most of us understand that climate is cyclical. Things happen in patterns. We also know that there are sunspots, changes in the surface of the sun, which affect our climate. There are solar cycles. We also know that there are volcanic eruptions. There's various uh, there's various factors here on Earth. You know, we talk about pollution. You know, one volcanic eruption can put out more pollution than all of mankind can put out in five years. It can do it all at once. I mean, Mount St. Helens, Mount Pinatubo, that volcano with, you know, that is like 500 letters long over there in Iceland. That I mean, those volcanoes put out more crap into the air and more stuff and can affect the climate more and the, the short and intermediate term weather than mankind could ever hope to accomplish. So there's, there's a lot of things. Man, I think, can affect climate on a micro scale, but on a macro scale, absolutely not. We've talked about it a hundred times before on the air. And I think this really sad thing is, again... People don't ask if everyone's okay. They don't rush out there and try and help. They, they want to just immediately point to politicizing this discussion. And I just think that's pretty disgusting, especially when we're talking about climate, something that a lot of people don't even have degrees in climatology. They don't even have degrees in meteorology. They don't, they don't even understand how weather works. And they're going to run out there and try and tout a science that they don't even really understand. That's the part that really bothers me. You listen to them, they, they don't even know the difference between a high-pressure system, a low-pressure system, a warm front, a cold front, an occluded front. They don't know the difference between any of that, and they're going to sit here and try and tell you that the that a man is causing the global warming. Because somebody, they heard that somewhere, and it kind of made sense, maybe, in some way. All right, and then we have this for you. Um, uh, this is a little bit frightening. The Florida House and Senate budget leaders have awarded Palm Beach County Sheriff Rick Bradshaw $1 million for a new violence prevention program. Uh, this is aimed at preventing tragedies such as Newtown, Connecticut, and Aurora, Colorado from occurring in his town. Sounds good so far. Bradshaw plans to use the extra million dollars to launch a, quote, prevention intervention unit, which features specially trained deputies, mental health professionals, and caseworkers. 
the teams will respond to citizen phone calls on a 24-hour hotline with a knock on the door and a referral to services if needed. So what is exactly is this program and, and why is it controversial? Why am I even bringing it up? Well, it's a million dollars in taxpayer money that's being used in Palm Beach County so that let's just say you have a neighbor that might be a little bit anti-government and maybe he lets his sentiments be known on whether on Facebook or Twitter or maybe he's just telling the neighborhood, hey, I hate the government, man. These taxes, I'll tell you. All that. Well, maybe maybe that bothers you. Maybe you don't like a guy that, that talks about the government like that. Or maybe somebody could just call anonymously and go, This guy made a post on Facebook and he doesn't like the government, I'll tell you. So what you do, you, you call up that hotline. And now, the sheriff's department goes over. Little knock on the door. Hey, I uh, heard you're anti-government. Hey, could, do you mind if we come in for just a second? Sure. All right, well... Hey, um, we're just going to have these mental health professionals evaluate you. Make sure, you know, you're okay. We've heard that you said some things about the government. And, you know, we would just want you to know we're the government. We're here to help. We're just looking out for you, making sure everything's all right. That sounds a little bit frightening, doesn't it? Someone makes a post on the Internet about, ah, oh, I'm a little bit anti You know, I don't, don't really like these taxes. Don't really like what's going on. Don't like that we meddle in all these uh, other countries' business. Or, or maybe, I don't like President Obama. Or I don't like Republicans. Or I don't like Democrats or whatever. So they make these posts. Or they make comments to other people in the neighborhood or around or in a restaurant somewhere in Palm Beach. Well, now they can call. They got a hotline. Good. We got a snitch line. Someone says something you don't like, you can call up and have the the lady in the lab coat come over to the house with a police officer and make sure that the person is okay. Wow, if that's not a little bit frightening. <laughs> what is what is going on? The goal will be avoiding crime and making sure that law enforcement knows about potential powder kegs before tragedies occurred, Bradshaw said. But of course, the earmark which is a one-time only funding provision, unless, of course, it works, provoked a debate Monday among mental health advocates, providers, um, about the balance between civil liberties, privacy, and protecting the public. Yeah, you think there might be a debate about that? You maybe should have had that debate before you authorized the million dollars just given the, the check over to the Sheriff's Department in Palm Beach County. Because I can tell you right now, while, well, sure, maybe, maybe you'll prevent a crime. You'll also probably harass a whole bunch of citizens that may be just blowing off steam or maybe just expressing their opinion, you know, kind of like they have a right to by maybe the First Amendment or something. You know, I don't like everything the government does either. What, is somebody from Palm Beach County going to come over here now? Somebody's going to get in my face about it and say, hey, you know, we, 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 uh, hey, uh. Mr. Groff, we heard that you made some comments. We heard that you're not really a big fan of uh, of President Obama. Uh, we just want to make sure that you're okay. You have any guns, sir? Uh, can we just do a mental health evaluation on you? No, you can't. I'm sorry. I didn't know that expressing an opinion merited a visit from the sheriff's department. According to this, it potentially could. Of course, they say they know how to handle calls and they know the difference between just somebody blowing off some steam and somebody that really poses a threat but here i don't know they say quote we want people to call us if the guy down the street says he hates the government 
We want people to call if the guy down the street says he hates the mayor and he's going to shoot him. Okay, well, maybe that part I get. But just because you say you hate the government? See, there's a big difference between saying I don't like the government or I hate the government or I don't like the president or and I'm going to shoot somebody because that's already a crime. See, threatening to kill somebody, saying you're going to shoot somebody, that always warrants an investigation. So we already have existing laws for that. A task force, uh, a special unit, an anti-crime unit, a, a prevention, a whatever they're calling it, a crime prevention unit that goes out there with psychologists. And I mean, that just gets a little bit ridiculous. Quote, what does it hurt to have somebody knock on a door and ask, hey, is everything OK? Bradshaw says. Wow. That's enough for Senate Budget Chief Joe Negron, a Republican from Stewart, who helped push through the funding last weekend. Yes, that's right. Republicans pushing through legislation that increases the size and scope of government. So you see both parties do it. There you go. Nice job, Republicans. Nice job, Florida. Nice job. I see that you guys really have your priorities in order and that you're very concerned about civil liberties and the First Amendment. I love this, though. Quote, we know how to sift through frivolous complaints. No, you don't. I'm sure you, I'm sure that this million dollars will be quite well spent. They say it's a one-time budget provision, but we'll see. We'll see what happens maybe next year or two years from now when the sheriff's department down there in Palm Beach County asks for it again. That could very well be coming to a state near you. So before you think that it's such a good idea, or before you think that this is just something that's, you know, ah, it's just wacky-ass Florida. No, look, this could happen somewhere else too. Telling you right now. All right, I think with that, we can transition smoothly into something equally as frustrating. It's time now, folks, for the worst song of the week. As you know, the music industry is on a downhill spiral day after day. The the business continues to put out just awful music. It's harder and harder to find anything that resembles decent tunes these days, especially from mainstream record labels. And so that's why we bring you the worst song of the week. Just an example of the worst of the worst. Something that I found, heard, witnessed that just made my skin crawl. And I thought I would share it with you just to prove this point further. Um, this week, there's like, I'm not reading all these artists. There's like 50 artists that are involved in making this song. That's the other thing. Like music today, it's hard to just get one artist to create a song. They have to get a collaboration and then they all collaborate and they still make something that sucks. You'd think that all of those great minds coming together, like Major Laser, Tyga, and I don't know, the 14 other people that are on this song, you'd think that they would all come together to make a really good song. Think again. That's not the case. This is Major Lazer, Tyga, and a bunch of other people. This is uh, a song, a song, I, I'm using the term very loosely, called Bubble Butt. You just know that this is bound for greatness. Here it is, right here in the zip code famous Michael Graff show. hate it already, but I'm going to keep playing it because people say I'm not fair. 
serious with this? Really? Bubble, 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 but turn around, stick it out. Show the world you got it. Doubting that this is going to become any kind of uh, fantastic tune anytime in the next two minutes, 14 seconds. So I think on that note, there you have it. More proof of how bad music is getting. That's uh, Major Laser, Tyga, and some other people with Bubble Butt. There it is. The worst song of the week. Yeah. Okay. As always with that feature, I feel very defeated, and that's why we save it for the end of the show. If I started that at the end of the show, or at the beginning of the show, rather, it would ruin all momentum. There would be no point in continuing, and um, it would make for a very short podcast. So if I ever just wanted to do a really short show one day, I'd just come in, I'd start it out with the, uh, the worst song feature, and then go home. That's it. All right, well, contact information for the program if you want to weigh in on this or anything else. Groffshow at gmail.com. That's the email address. You can message us on Google Talk. Groffshow, also the screen name there. Michael Groffshow on AOL Instant Messenger. Michael Groff on Twitter. And for everything else Michael Groff related, should you just feel the need, should you feel the compunction, you can go to michaelgroff.com. While you're there, I would encourage you to donate to this program. Your donations are always encouraged. Our PayPal address, mike at kmgx.com, or you can donate through michaelgroff.com. Once again, michaelgroff.com, the fun and exciting place where this show is posted. You can sign up to get email notifications. Every time a brand new episode is posted, you will get the notice, all right? All right, um, your comments, you can always post uh, comments on our site, leave feedback for us, anything like that too, can all be done there. I think, I, I think I'm spent. I think that song just took, it sucked the life right out of me. Wow. All right, have a good night. We'll see you next time. The Zip Code Famous Michael Graff Show. Good night, everybody.